Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today, I have Jessica Chang, CEO of WeCare, coming to us from Marina Del Rey, Los Angeles area. How's it going, Jessica? Good, Nathan. I'm having a great sunny day in Southern California, so I can't complain. Good for you. We're still in the the fog, the cold, foggy, kind of gloomy days up here in San Francisco. It really drives me crazy. (laughs) People should move to LA. It's a great place. Um, We have a really thriving startup community. Plus, um, you can't really beat the weather. Yes, we have bad traffic, but, eh, you know, we get over it. How, how much, how long is your commute? Um, I've got to be honest, my commute is very short, um, but I do pass through three highways, um, but it only takes me 15 minutes to get to work. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah, that's, I think that's the hack. If you're going to live in Southern California, you just move close to where you work and don't have to deal with it as much. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're all about little communities um, in Los Angeles. So even though the greater LA is extremely large, um, it can be broken down in very finite communities. Um, people in the west side of LA never venture east. People on the east side of LA never venture west. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe if we had better transportation, we would. But at the moment, yeah, we're very community-centric people. So we're going to come back to fundraising in a minute because I want to hear about WeCare. But on that topic, are the VCs in LA spread all over or are they concentrated? Like in, in, you know, up here we have them all on Sand Hill Road, all nicely lined up. And then there's a bunch in San Francisco, you know, kind of second in Howard area. Where are the VCs? Are they spread all over the place in LA? In Los Angeles, it's very similar to the Bay Area. We have, uh, most of them are probably in the west side where we would call Silicon Beach. Mm-hmm. And then there's a number of them that have also moved over to downtown. So really there's a group in the west side of Los Angeles and another group in the east side of Los Angeles. Um, and there's startups popping up everywhere. So you know, we, we commute to both sides, um, and it's very similar to the Bay Area. Is Silicon Beach like Santa Monica, or what's considered Silicon Beach? I think Silicon Beach has expanded over time, and other people might not agree with me on this, but it probably starts off in Santa Monica, north parts of Santa Monica, and goes all the way down to, I would say, Playa Vista. So the southern tip, is Playa Vista, and then above that is Marina del Rey, above that is Venice, and then above that Venice is Santa Monica. Okay, interesting. Okay, well, before we jump ahead, let's talk about WeCare. So what is WeCare? What do you guys do? WeCare is a platform that provides caregivers, educators, and entrepreneurs the tools and support needed to start a licensed home daycare. And then as a result, effortlessly manage operations so they can really focus on caregiving. You know, childcare options are really limited and costly nationwide. But families using WeCare have access to convenient, affordable, and curriculum-based daycare. And so it's platforms, if I want to start my own daycare, it's not so much if I've got kids and I'm looking to get them in somewhere. Is that correct? 
We actually service both parts of the market. So we are a managed marketplace. So parents can easily find a daycare, put down a deposit, and then really be able to pay, uh, pay their daycare uh, tuitions and then be able to communicate with their providers on one side of the platform. And then on the other side of the platform, we work with new providers, people that are interested in starting daycares and also existing daycare providers to really um, be able to provide great caregiving experiences, whether if they just need the operations part, whether they need the managed marketplace or the lead generation part, or if they're starting from scratch, um, really the starting part of getting licensed and getting their home prepped. Yeah, it, that's that was sort of my next question. Is there a, a high hurdle to open a daycare? Do I need to have a lot of licensing? Is there testing or certifications or can kind of anyone do it? Well, the aspect of it, if you're starting a home daycare, technically anyone that has a one bedroom with roughly 300 square feet of space in an apartment or in an own home, own home or with a backyard or with no backyard can actually start a daycare, but we have very strict vetting processes. One, you do need to be licensed, so you have to go through the licensing process, make sure that your daycare is safe um, and follows all guidelines, you know, um, all of our daycares, not just the provider, but every single person in their family gets a criminal record check with the DOJ, the FBI, and the child abuse index. So it's pretty um, meticulous on that aspect. Yep. But we, as we care, we go above and beyond that. And we want to make sure that we find the best providers, um, really the ones that are great caregivers, but don't really know how to operate their business. We really want to find those individuals to actually help them start a daycare. Okay. That's interesting. So you'll, you'll reject entities that try and get on or, or come on the platform that don't live up to your standards. Is that right? Correct. Mm. We do want to give people the best opportunities, but we're in early childcare. <laughs> it yeah. is about trust and safety and we want to set the highest bar possible. I remember my, I mean, this is a long time ago, but uh, I would get dropped off at the daycare, this woman's home. And then she would mostly watch soap operas all day while me and four of other kids would, you know, fight each other and stuff like that. And then parents would come pick us up. And that was my day daycare experience. Um, yeah. That's just how it was. So we're very different from that now. Um, you know, in the end of the day, um, parents need to find things that are convenient uh, yeah. and also affordable to them. But we're raising the bar and actually adding the quality aspect. That's why all of our daycares are curriculum-based. So from that perspective, you can think of our daycares as micro preschool. Okay, sure. Okay, and then um, the Genesis story. So where'd you come up with this idea? Were you a, a daycare provider? Did you have some kids? And you know, where's, where'd this idea come from? Well, a lot of it comes from the heart, right? Your own personal experience. So the first step was becoming a mother myself. Um, and having really experienced the, I would guess, the demand side of it, being the parent that couldn't find great care, couldn't find options that were close to me, found it extremely unaffordable, and then also finding out that sometimes you have wait lists of one to two years, mm -hmm. driving my husband crazy on that. So that's one side of the story. But then also on the other side of it is um, I also owned preschools. 
And from that perspective, I've seen the supply side. So as a preschool owner, I consistently um, looked at what parents needed, why schools weren't living up to their expectations, um, teachers um, finding out that teachers don't get paid anything. Did you know that the average teacher in California, so California is already a, a high paying state, only makes 20 to 30,000 a year. That's unsustainable. Um, they can't even afford to support their own families, let alone be able to afford childcare for their own kids. So really, from both sides of the story, I've been, you know, so I am a parent, um, seen it from the parent perspective, and then also being a preschool owner, seen it from the, the supply perspective of actually being the provider. Yeah, cool. And when did you guys launch and how many markets are you in now? So we launched... Uh, Roughly a year ago, I think uh, our official year mark is September 1st, so we're coming up to a year. Um, primarily, we're in Southern California at the moment, and we're looking to expand out of Southern California now with this round of funding um, and targeting two or three more cities slash states. Yep, cool, awesome. So let's talk about funding. All right, so uh, I'm looking at pitch book and it looks like you guys went through Amplify or maybe just talk about uh, how many rounds of funding and, and what types you've done. Yeah, so prior to our seed round, um, so we did a seed round. Uh, we also did a pre-seed round as well. So during our pre-seed round, um, we actually had institutional investors from day one. Um, our investors included FICA Ventures, Amplify, which is based in Los Angeles, and WaveMaker as well. Okay. Those are all Southern California. For pre-seed. Uh-huh. For pre-seed. Correct. 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 And what did you and have at that? Well, let's talk about that just for a minute on the pre-seed. So did you have a, a, a working market? You know, marketplaces are hard, right? You're building a market. Like, what did you have when you were pitching the pre-seed? I think this is always interesting for people to understand, like, kind of what it takes to raise a pre-seed round. During our pre-seed round, we, we raised it in August of last year. We had an idea. Mm -hmm. um, we tested out the market, but um, at that time, we didn't actually have a product um, or have any customers at that time. Um, and that's, and it, I, I believe this is a pretty unique situation, and I, I kind of complement that to actually our founding team. I believe um, as founders of the team, we actually have three founders all of us have previous uh, entrepreneurial experience, previous startup experience, previous exit experience as well. So we came in as a very strong team mm -hmm. and therefore um, our early pre-seed investors betted on the team and the market opportunity. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, so that's August. You raised that pre-seed round and then uh, let's kind of keep going towards this, this seed, which just completed, right? Yeah, so we raised our seed round that was announced in July, um, end of July, and we raised uh, roughly $4.2 million, and it was led by social capital. Um, fuel capital was also part of our syndicate, and then our previous investors followed on. Mm -hmm. um, cool, and it, it, by this point, you had a uh, working prototype and some, some daycares 
created, I guess, or what was the, uh, you know, fast forward a year from your pre-seed, what was the scenario you were pitching? So we wanted to actually build the foundation of our company. Um, we wanted to test out what were best practices. So our hypothesis um, was that we wanted to actually have um, the supply side. So actually getting people to start a daycare from scratch, um, getting their license, enrolling kids, and then the families that are enrolled being happy and paying. Um, and that was kind of our criteria before we actually went out to raise the seed round. So we, we basically wanted to prove out our business model, had initial unit economics, were making revenue, had good penetration in the community before we went out to raise. Do, do you, because again, you know, the marketplace is always just so interesting and in how people kickstart the marketplace and then raise money on that. Did you just focus on like one specific town uh, in, in Southern California and kind of build out the business model and unit economics in that? Or did you have to go to a couple towns? I don't know. How much points did you have? Um, actually, when we, when we went out to raise our seed round, we had 10 daycares opened and um, having kids. So okay. there yeah. wasn't very much um, to that. But from the perspective, because there is a longer period to ramp up for daycares, we had in our pipeline roughly another 70 daycares, right? Okay. Um, but from, from the start of it, um, it really, we actually picked out exactly what we wanted to test it. Luckily, we had the opportunity to start in Southern California. And as you know, uh, LA is quite large. And from that, it's almost like six small cities in one. So we really could test out uh, different, I would say, communities, different ethnic groups, different social economic zones as well. And that actually kind of put our hypothesis together. So, for example, we wanted to make sure that this product actually worked in low middle income areas. And at the same time, we also wanted to make sure it worked in high income areas. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> you didn't want to just be another startup serving like, you know, this, the, the whims of rich people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, we, we understand um, sometimes tech can get a bad name. Um, our, our product is really for all families. You know, our, what we like to say is that we're trying to create affordable, um, convenient, early childcare options that are actually accessible to all families. So from that, we, you know, our, our target is really looking at the middle of America and saying, okay, middle America, they spend 30 to 40% of their income in childcare, just mm -hmm. on childcare alone, early childcare. What can we do for them? Yeah, that's no, good. Okay. So you've got, a, you know, pretty big market. Um, you've, Proven the business model, got your unit economics, you've got 10 daycares running, 70 in the pipeline. How did you kind of approach the fundraising? Did you just uh, start talking to all the LA investors or, you know, how, how did you identify who to, to reach out to for this type of business? So luckily, you know, we picked really good pre-seed investors. Um, they were very much supportive of us establishing relationships pretty early on with potentially interested investors that would look at us during the seed round. So we spoke to them way before we decided to raise. Uh, the other factor to it is 
when we decided to raise, we, we had a very structured way of going about it. We looked up all of the investors that have invested in our previous space. We narrowed it down. We narrowed it down to the partners we wanted to talk to. And then we went to our current investors and really asked for introductions. Um, and that's how we actually got started with the process. Um, from that standpoint, the process actually went pretty quickly um, once we once we did that that part of our tactic. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so how did you, okay, let's, I like that structured process. I think that's great. Uh, let's pick it apart a little bit. Um, when you were identifying, you know, previous in, investors or, or investors that previously invested in this space, what were you looking at? Just other, and I can't imagine there are too many like daycare type of things, but. Yeah, so we, we went a little bit broader than that. It was ed tech, um, uh, education-based investments, uh, education-based SaaS platforms. So there were, there were a number of them. Um, and then from that point, you know, really our target was probably about 20 investors that we really wanted to go after. Uh, the other factor that we probably added in that expanded our group was marketplace investments. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's actually how we went about it. And then we really want to say like, hey, this, this investment uh, fund actually invested in three similar type of companies in our space. Who is the partner that was working on these deals? Could we actually find their, a warm introduction to that partner? How do you identify the partner on certain deals? If you know you you find the logo on a VC website, how'd you figure out this was the right person? It, that was a lot of digging. Um, I, I think a lot of use of LinkedIn. Luckily, a lot of people like to say that I'm a board member of this company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there there was a lot of digging from our aspect. You know, we we're very thankful that we did have the pre-seed investors that we did. Um, so we we actually asked them as well, like, hey. Uh, could you help us? Do you know a contact here? Could you help us find out who was the partner that worked on these deals? And if so, can we actually get an introduction? Yep. Um, and I think that that's actually pretty useful. And I think from that perspective, you know, having pre-seed investors that are well acquainted with the space and can make an introduction, uh, that's really, really useful for um, a startup founder. Um, were you looking only Southern California or, or- Bay Area or broadly? So um, we were specifically targeting Southern and Northern California. Um, We did talk to a number of New York and Boston investors as well, but found that, you know, in terms of the seed round, we did want to have access to our investors. So having them be able to travel from New York to LA for board meetings didn't really make too much sense. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that if we did target a Northern California fund, that they also actually invested in Southern California. You didn't want to be the only reason why they came down to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, was a key factor when we determined, okay, has this fund also invested in Los Angeles? Yep. Did you find that many funds, did that uh, ex- exclude many funds? Uh, I think previously it, it probably would have, but as our startup ecosystem has grown in Los Angeles, probably with, with Snap primarily, mm-hmm. um, and now with Bird as well, I think you're seeing a lot more startups here and a lot more Northern California funds coming down to, to uh, LA to look at companies. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It does seem like even just, I don't know. 
compared to five or 10 years ago, the preference, you know, there used to be that joke where investors would uh, only invest in like a bicycle ride or a Tesla charge away from their office. That seems to be. Yeah. Well, it, it's also the factor that SF has become really expensive, right? Um, yeah. So you'll, we're finding it easier to find engineers now as well. I think a lot more people are starting to, uh, especially when they think about family, um, starting to move down to Southern California. Obviously, they still lo- love the weather in California, probably more so in LA than in SF. Um, but it's a lot more affordable to live here. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. So, and then, you know, back to, so you're getting the introductions, leaning on your pre-seed guys and gals to do that. Do any, uh, were you able to get kind of a good um, frenzy going for the deal or was it a slog? I mean, what, how the, how did it actually play out? Um, so the first week that we started pitching, we got our first term sheet. So our process actually ended up being a a frenzy and we actually ended up um, picking our our investor within a two to three week timeline. So it was was very fast. Um, We were very, I believe the process of why it probably went fast is because we started talking to individuals prior to our, prior to deciding to actually fundraise and that helped to garner interest. Um, and we weren't just kind of telling the story for the first time. How that's, that's okay. That's really interesting. So how, how much in advance and how did you kind of frame it? Like how much in advance did you start talking to them and were you just, yeah. How did you frame it? Yeah. So um, that's actually the great thing about being an accelerator. Uh, You do have a lot of investors that come through the doors. So a lot of times they were just interested, like, Oh, wow. Someone, a company that's focused in early childcare. Let me just, down for 30 minutes and talk to them and so those conversations started there uh, and that was probably you know we started talking to investors in September of last year Um, so it was really just initials like hey this is what we're doing this is what we're about would love to follow up and we're thinking about raising Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we started to raise it wasn't just like the first time I'm pitching this person it was okay I'm pitching to you, but it's mostly about the updates that we've had and what we said we were going to do. And then at the same time, you have contact, you've done a little bit of research into it. So you're excited about this basis uh, from the initial second conversation. And that actually made it easier because that would be like, okay, well, this isn't the first meeting. This is the second meeting. And I already know about all these things. And I see you progress from the first time I talked to you to the second time. Yeah. Did you keep them in the loop like for the whole, you know, time period? Did you do any newsletter or anything like that? Or was it just uh, a couple different conversations? So we actually didn't send out a newsletter and this might, you know, I I have qualms about both. um, But there was, you know, from our standpoint, we did know that there was a competitor in San Francisco and many of our um, investors had spoken to the competitors, so we felt like sharing consistent newsletters wasn't really the right approach for us. Um, but I do think that you know one of the aspects that do keep a lot of investors intrigued is sharing information about where you are, uh, how far have you gotten, and what your future plans are. So um, I think it depends on the situation. Um, we had a very specific situation that didn't really allow us to share as much. 
but I can see it working for another um, startup. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. You know, I, uh, you mentioned the competitor in SF. How does that affect your fundraising? Do you feel compelled to, and I don't know how much they've raised or anything like that, or if they even have raised, but does that, you know, affect your thinking of, in terms of making you want to raise more money um, just to build up a war chest in case it becomes like a, you know, cause marketplaces often become kind of a winner takes all in some, some categories. Um, I don't know. Does that enter your thought at all? It definitely has. Um, our, our competitor raised around uh, and announced around about a week after us. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, but I, I do think it, it just says a lot about the actual industry that people are excited about early childcare. Uh, and it probably makes sense because, you know, as, as millennials are starting have are starting to have kids, they're finally like, oh, well, this is a really hard process. Why hasn't anyone actually solved it yet? So it's it's good timing. I think the when you have a number of competitors and they're raising funds as well, it just gives a clear indication that people are excited about the industry um, and that there are people that want to continuously fund it as well. So yes, you know, having a competitor in their space does make us think about things in a different strategy, but it also gets us really excited because investors are excited about the whole industry. Be honest. Do you have a Google alert set to go off if it says competitor raised capital or something like that? <laughs> of course. Who doesn't? Yes. <laughs> if you don't, then you're, then you don't really, uh, you're not really understanding your industry very well. Sure. Um, uh, no, definitely. Um, you always want to know who's popping up. And, you know, a lot of people ask about it, too. So you also want to give them the right answer as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I don't know. We Maybe just drill on this a little tiny bit more. But when you're clearly this competitor, this is interesting. I haven't heard a story like this quite like this. If they're obviously raising the same time you guys are at, right? So you're both in the funding market at the same time. Um, did they come up a lot? And how did you give any tips for just how to address, like, the competitor question? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think um, for, you know, definitely the competitor question came out a lot, um, but it was more so because our competitor was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And when we spoke to a lot of the Northern, Cali- Northern California uh, VCs, they knew about our competitor. So they wanted to really drill in on what was the difference. I think for a lot of um, new startups or founders that are continuously raising, you do need to know your competitive landscape and you do need to know what differentiates you from your competitor. Um, Saying that you are exactly the same company, but the market is big enough is not really a good answer. (laughs) Um, So there is, from that standpoint, just knowing where you guys differentiate and how are you thinking about solving the problem versus your competitor is, is really what investors are looking for. Did you fundraise before for previous startups or was this your first time around the, bl- the block? So I've actually have a lot of fundraising experience. Um, previous to me diving really into early childcare, I was in finance. So I started off as an investment banker and have a number of years of private equity experience and then have also raised funds for private equity as well. So uh, I, I do have a lot of experience in fundraising. Okay, so uh, that's great. I didn't actually know that. So, what did you what did you learn from? Well, what did you take from your PE 
iBanker days that you applied to, <laughs> to raising a seed fund? Anything kind of jump out at you? I think one of the, the key aspects is um, I think a lot of times people focus, like, well, founders focus a lot on their presentation and they're very keen on making sure they hit every single point on their presentation, which actually becomes a really big distraction from an investor standpoint because they're like idea pitches every single day. Tell me something new, get my attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that we did and, and probably a lot of investors are going to hate me for this, but we essentially almost never opened our presentation. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we had one. But we went into every single pitch session with really telling the story and engaging the investors' interests. So if we needed to pivot based on their interests, we did. So at all times, they were focused on us and we were focused on them. Um, yeah. Would you actually not even, <laughs> No, I think that's, it. that's really interesting. Would you, you know, let, let's put a, a fly in the room would you sit down and not even open up the laptop and you would just kind of start having a conversation about what you're doing? Is that how you, you would actually do that? Well, obviously I, I said we have a presentation, mm -hmm. but I would really love to tell the story from my perspective and then let you guys answer any questions. And if you want me to open any of the slides, we can. Um, and I think that was very refreshing for a lot of investors because they're so used to getting pitched by presentations. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, as a result, founders are like, oh, no, I, I missed the slide. I have to go back and talk about that point. And that can be a big distraction. Um, so I really, I knew my presentation. Obviously, make a presentation because you want to know all the facts that you want to cover and all the points that you want to get through. And obviously, when you're done with a presentation, investors actually look at it to make sure, like, hey, did I miss a point here and there? But really, when you want to capture the room, because you really only have about the initial five minutes to capture an investor's interest, you want to be talking to them directly. And you want to be showcasing your story and your passion to them directly. The caveat is, it is the seed round, right? So I, I probably would say it would be a lot different if this was a series A, series B, series C, where metrics are extremely important. Yeah. Um, but during the seed round, it's about the story. Um, there's not many metrics that you have to base on it, and there's not much of a the unit economics that you can go by. It's really about who your founders are, what is the team that you you know comprise today, and what is your story? Why why am I giving money to you, and why can you solve the problem? Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a great tip. Um, Cool. Anything else, any other playbooks or uh, pages out of the investment banker playbook for, you know, closing the round or hurting the cats, any of that stuff that you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how much uh, uh, investment banking experience that I can pull out. Um, other than um, I would say two things, be very detailed. Mm. You know, if you're running a process, um, Make sure that you keep detailed notes of what you discuss with investors, follow up with investors, right, uh, on a timely matter. And the other part is, you know, what investment banking has taught me really well is how to model. Right? I can create really great financial models and you can ask me any projections you want to see and I, I can probably whip it out within five minutes. Um, yeah. But other than that, you know, I, I think what 
is probably a better experience is really being an entrepreneur, having the operational experience and being able to relay and say, hey, I've had a personal passion in this because of X, Y, and Z. Cool. Awesome. Great. Um, well, are you already starting to think about the next round? I know the, the ink is barely dry on this one, but uh, you started to look ahead. And, and do you think this is a business that you're going to raise, you know, Series H? Well, wasn't Slack just doing a Series H recently or something like that? Um, what do you think? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer to it. Obviously, we hope we don't have to go past Series B. Um, this is, you know, when we came up with the idea for this company, we came from it from understanding the market, but also understanding that could we execute on a business model. So on day one, we're like, how are we going to make money? Um, and does that actually work with our customers? So from that standpoint, you know, we're not trying to, we haven't deviated from our business model and we think it's very strong. Um, so hopefully we get to profitability after hopefully series B and don't need to raise money. But as more and more competitors come along and we're trying to capture larger parts of the market, we might need to. So it's, it's early, too early to say, but the hope is we don't. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, do you think about ownership and dilution? I mean, you're a numbers person, so, you know, like, does that weigh on you or is it more just focusing on the customers and capturing the market? Like, I just got, I just did a, a call earlier today with uh, Rand Fishkin and he's doing a much different model of fundraising his second startup where he really wants to kind of con maintain control and not give up a lot of equity. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Um, that, you know, I do think about dilution a lot. <laughs> My mm. mind is, is run by percentages and basis points all the time. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I also think in the beginning, you know, you do have to be a little bit more lenient because you do need the capital to actually execute on your idea. Uh, so if you run out of money before you actually proved out your business model, then 100% of zero is still zero, right? Yeah. So... I do think in the beginning it is about what, how much capital do you need to actually get to a point where you can prove out your business model. And then once your business model is proved out and you, you can see it being very scalable, you can be a little bit more stingy with how much capital you're giving out or sorry, how much dilution that you're actually taking in. Be honest. Have you modeled it out like under, you know, five different scenarios of different funding rounds and <laughs> what your ownership stake looks like. Be honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I have a version 23 of, of, of a conservative case. Yes. So um, right. that's, that's what finance does to you. You become very good at modeling out very different scenarios and you plug and play everything into it. Um, but maybe sometimes, and this is why I have other founders, um, you have to take your head out of the model and say, okay, what, what is realistic? What's probably going to happen? And if it's a 0.0% off, it's still okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. One last question and I'll let you get back to, to your business, but um, any, any other tips for founders uh, either, you know, maybe about navigating the LA 
funding scene or um, just other tips for, you know, um, building and funding a marketplace business? Anything we haven't covered or have we covered it all? Um, I think you cover a lot, but I would always say for, we, we got lucky because we were previous founders, right? So a lot of people knew who we were already, um, even when we were thinking about our pre-seed round. I would say for those that don't have um, relationships already, it's really important to actually go to the conferences, go to the events, and meet as many people as possible. Ask them a lot of questions and not be afraid to approach an investor just because they're like, oh, this is a person that will never talk to me. Well, it doesn't hurt to actually talk to them. Uh, so I would always say if you don't know anyone, attend as many events as you can, ask as many questions as possible, and really get people to know you. Yeah. Um, that, that would be advice that, you know, um, for others that aren't in similar situations. Awesome. Cool. Jessica, this is great. Anything you want to promote? If people want to learn more, it's weecare.co, -E -E correct? Yeah, it's w2eecare.co. And for anyone that is listening that is uh, a potential teacher or a nanny or just a parent um, at home taking care of your kids, we're here for you. If you want to start a home daycare, we would love to start one with you. And for any parents, obviously as founders, you have a ton of people that have families. For any parents that are looking for care, come and check out wecare.co and see if there's a great home daycare that's close to you um, and that's affordable to you as well. Cool. Awesome. It's a great, great idea. I love it. All right, Jessica, thanks much. And hopefully we'll catch you after your, your next round, okay? Thanks, Nathan, and have a great day. You too.